You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling your home to live and to sell. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 135. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So it's great seeing those of you who show up live at last week's open house. It was really fun. It was our first time of doing a virtual open house, and we'll definitely be doing more of that. We're going to be opening up our official enrollment for our new home staging professional career certificate next month. So more information will be coming soon on that. And just a quick reminder: the deadline for this month's staging challenge is today, on August twenty fifth. So if you're on our email list, you already know that we had sent out an email last week about possible apartment therapy feature. That's right, apartment therapy had called. They are looking to feature home stagers' work. So definitely take advantage of this monthly challenge and submit today. Today is the deadline for this month, and the theme is bedroom. We'll be submitting not only the winners' photos onto apartment therapy, but the finalists as well. So go to stageingawards.com/challenge, and you can find out all the details about our monthly challenge. We also posted about this on our Instagram, so feel free to pick up the details there too. So on today's show, we have the amazing Bobby McGrath, who is basically like the Alec Baldwin of our show. She's probably gone back, I think, four or five times at this point. And she's a longtime friend of the school, and she's also a previous speaker at our annual SageCon as well, our very first one. And Bobby is absolutely amazing. She's not only an amazing human being, but she's also an amazing trainer. In 2004, Bobby McGrath launched her award-winning staging company, Successful Staging. Since that time, she has personally staged and/or consulted on over 8,000 homes. Her effective and practical technique have led to presenting at the Risa International Conference. Speaking and training realtors and home stagers in Australia, Canada, China, and the U.S. She has also been a repeated featured guest on many top-rated home staging podcasts, being named numerous times as one of the top ten home stagers of the year in Occupied USA, and also most influential by her peers. Bobby has created the 2019 Risa Most Innovative Product or Service of the Year, the Occupied Consultation Specialist Course. OCS students report feeling more confident and more empowered once they complete her course. Home sellers use words such as "great communicator," "positive," and "magical" when describing their experiences when experiencing her time-tested techniques. Bobby's focus on the occupied side of the business has allowed stagers to partner with realtors who understand the unmistakable marketing advantage staging brings to the table. Creating strong agent connection and attention to detail has been a hallmark of her business for years. So Bobby has been absolutely amazing and a pioneer in the occupied staging space. So I'm really excited to have her on the show today to talk about the process of occupied staging. And Katie, whose show you have heard last week, is actually one of Bobby's students as well. All right, so let's start the show. Hey Bobby, welcome back to the show. I think you're officially the Alec Baldwin on our podcast. I think this is the fourth time or fifth time, something like that. I feel like we're old friends, so it's all good. Happy to、We、be here. We are old friends, yeah. So even though you're the woman with no introduction needed, for our new listeners, do you want to tell us a little bit about your business and how did you get started in staging? You bet. First of all, my company, Successful Staging, is based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and I have been in business since 2004. And so, when I started my company way back then, people didn't really know what staging was. In fact, I had an agent say, "I know what that is. You're like a glorified cleaning lady, right?" And I remember, I didn't even take offense. I thought, "Oh, honey, you have not met me." <laughs> so I invited him to a consultation, right? For ten years, the first ten years of my business, I provided both sides of the business, and then about year ten, I had a series of events that happened. And what I realized was, you know what? I had some great stagers here in the area that I could refer vacant work to. And I got to say, I did love doing the vacants. It's really fun to make what I call the glamour girls. But I really had a heart for the occupied side, and I was thinking, you know, I just don't know that it's being served as well as it could be. It was like. Glorified housekeeping, right? Just go tell them what to do, and that's enough. And I thought, no, no, there's more to it. So with that, back that was back in 2015. 
Oh, I guess so it's 2014. Anyway, I just decided, took a deep breath and I closed down my vacant division and threw myself into the occupied side and thought, oh my God, what have I done? I'm sure I've just killed my business. But you know, that's not what happened. So it took off. I've been very, very blessed. And so here I am these years later, still doing it, even in the COVID world, it's still going well. So that's a little bit about me and my company. And I don't know if there's any other questions you might have. Well, I think that's a really important point to raise because I think most home stagers, especially when they're new in the business, they feel very hesitant about choosing a specialty or having a niche for their home staging business. So for you, it's actually the opposite. Once you close down the vacant, your business actually boomed even more. It did. It was interesting because again, 17 years ago, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, there were two staging companies here in town because I have a way that I interview agents to find out what's going on. And that's what I did from day one. It was just instinctive for me. And as she was answering my questions, there were these two companies and I was saying, well, what do they do for you? And I was asking very specific questions and I thought, I can do it better. I can do better for the clients because I saw one company was all about interior designing the house, calling it staging. And the other one, she just didn't know what she was doing. She was trying to make the house look pretty and she was stripping it down so much there was no love. So it was interesting. So I started doing consultations and I started doing occupied, didn't even know to call it occupied. And then somebody said, well, I have an empty house. What do you think? And I thought, I've got furniture in my house. <laughs> so my poor husband would come home and my furniture would be gone. He goes, where's our sofa? And I think it is out making us some money. And so slowly over time, this happens with many solopreneurs, right? I started buying furniture, started putting it into the garage, then into the storage units. And finally, I had two warehouses and a delivery truck. It just happened. It's like you put a sofa in the garage and overnight it replicated. But then when all of that happened and I ended up pulling away from the vacant side and really focusing in on the occupied side, I realized it was really an opportunity because everybody was doing vacant. Everybody was cutting each other with pricing, racing to the bottom. Everybody was buying the same furniture. Everybody was doing that. And there was this huge wall that staging was expensive, can't afford it. And as a consultant on the occupied side, my mantra from day one was, I'm always going to start using what you already own. And then we'll talk. If you have budget that we can do additional things, we'll talk. But I promise to you, I will use only what you have in the house and that I'm going to take into mind your time frame and your budget. So that was the guiding, actually, even 17 years ago, that was my guiding principle. And really honing in on that, that's what really changed my business and allowed me to keep more of the money that I had been bringing in. I think that's amazing. And I also think it's the clarity that you have about what you want out of your business. I think that also helped to shift a lot of things for you. Yes. Clarity is key. And this is one of the things I, I have coaching clients to stagers, right? That I coach. And one of the things I really talk to them about is unless and until you are very clear on what it is that you do, as well as those things you don't do, how can you market yourself? How can you talk about your business? How can you be the best at whatever it is that you do if you're just constantly unsure. If you don't have a system in place, if you don't have continuity, if you don't have that, then how can you feel confident? Clarity leads to confidence, leads to the impression of competency. And people hire you because they're confident in your competency. You can have the fanciest marketing in the whole world when you walk through that door, unless you know what you're talking about and you are clear on what you will or won't do. If they're telling you what to do, they don't want to hire you. They will hire someone else. So clarity is really important. No, I totally agree. Because I chose to specialize in vacant and very specific type of vacant homes within the Bay Area. And once I had that clarity, this is exactly where I want to be in staging. We went to six figure pretty much almost immediately. It's really amazing how that clarity really transformed the business. And once I had that clarity about what I want out of my staging business, I became more confident as well. Like people were just like, oh, Cindy, you feel like a different vibe. You know, those are kind of the things I think is really very transformational for our business. Once we have that mindset shift. 
Absolutely. And I love that because then you became known, your brand was staging that particular type of house. Yeah. And so that alone is great because no matter what, oh, you need, I don't know what style it was. Let's say it was mid-century modern homes. Oh, you have a mid-century, Cindy, that's who you call. It's like they're second to none. So that's what it was when I was doing vacants. I think I was the only stager who actually would stage historical homes. I did it in addition to my regular homes. But when people would say, oh, we have this historic home, they'd say, you got to call Bobby. Even though I did, you know, vacants, that was the thing that I loved to do because nobody else was doing it. And it was like one of those things that I live in homes where the homes were built in the 1700s, right? So you should have different furniture than the beige sofas in those houses. Exactly. Also, it's a different set of challenges with historical homes, right? Because walls might be tricky to put nails in. There are certain architecture styles you have to know and learn as well. Like you need to understand the history behind each house. So then you can feature those unique personalities as well. So within Occupy Home Staging, what are some of the different levels of Occupy Home Staging? So with Occupy Home Staging, I like to say every house, if it's being lived in when it enters the market, deserves a base occupied consultation. And so my whole business model is built on that consultation. Any additional services that I provide within the occupied world, I consider that gravy money. I'm going to make sure that with any building, the stronger your foundation, the stronger your structure, right? So I'm looking at the consultation. There's also what I call a photo prep, which is the final touches right before the photographer comes in. And honestly, it's full occupied staging light in that I'm not bringing a whole team in and we're not making the big changes and all of that. But once I added the photo prep session to what I offer, those bookings increased and the results that I created went out the roof. I now have agents who will pay for the photo prep. They'll tell the people, you pay for the consultation, do whatever she tells you. I will pay for the photo prep because they understand how important that is. So that's a service. The next one up would be staging enhancement. Now that's where it's mostly the homeowner's items, but you're bringing in some items. It could be art. It could be accessories. That might be a few key pieces of furniture. So there's staging enhancement. It's so funny. People says, oh, she only does occupied or she only does consultation. Oh, no, no. Contraire. I specialize in the occupied consultation, but I do provide full occupied staging. In fact, I have a house that I'm working on the end of June. I've got three or four different crews doing different things. I'm meeting with movers to move things around one day. I've got another staging company that's coming in to bring in the furniture for the staging enhancement portion. And then I have a full team where we're going to go through the rest of the 10,000 square foot house and do all of the final details. So I do provide full occupied staging. So there's a little bit and there's a lot, but that's within the occupied world, the way that I do that particular business. So, you know, and there's a lot of offshoots when you work in the occupied world. So there's shopping services that you can provide. After a while, when you get a strong base business, when I first was providing business, I charged a smaller fee for the shopping services because I didn't have a full docket of consultations. So I would do that. Over time, my consultations were booking so strong that what I did was I stopped providing the shopping services and I realized there were clients out there who were willing to pay my rate, the same rate that I get paid for my consultations in order to shop for them. So realize that your mindset about money, don't put it onto your clients. The fees that I charge for shopping it's going to knock some clients out. They're not able to or choose not to pay that fee for me to go shopping for them. But there are plenty who do. So don't compromise yourself because what I found myself doing was, you know, I book three consults a day. And what I would do for the shopping, I might go shopping while I'm getting paid a third. And sometimes the shopping would take longer. And so I would get two units of time making a third when I could be booking at my full rate. So once I started having that talk to myself, I said, as a service provider, what you do is you're very clear on your fees and you're very clear on your service. 
And if it's a situation where the client cannot afford to do it, how else can you get them that information so they can do it themselves? So there's a whole world in Occupied that you can build a really strong business on. I think that's a really good point because I think as a service provider, you always have to think about what are some of the ways we can build in additional income, right? Because a base consultation, that gets you your foot into the door, but it's an opportunity for you to upsell other things as well. So, I mean, I remember my first job in college, I was a cocktail waitress. And then the owner was really training us. It was like, okay, great. So they came in for a meal. That's a perfect time for you to upsell a beer or a wine, right? Because the restaurant makes more money in terms of beverages. So those are some of the things you can do. So they order entree, but there's no reason why you cannot recommend an appetizer or a wine or a beer or a dessert as well. So immediately your ticket goes up. I think it's the same thing with staging. As a business owner, we have to think of ways for us to cultivate that income. And I think one of the big takeaway from your conversation earlier was that it's really important not to discount ourselves before our client does it. Don't do it for our client. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about Beyonce, for example, people pay her a lot of money to sing five songs at a wedding, right? But do you yeah. think Beyonce sits at home and be like, oh, I charge too much money? No, I don't think so. I think Beyonce is like, no, this is my fee. You have to pay it if you want me to come out to sing yeah. at your wedding. I think oh. it's the same thing for us. So I have a slight twist to that with the way that I work my business is what I charge for my consultation is not the cheapest in town. So what I do is I want to provide the best consultation possible. And in a regular week, I can have 10 to 15 consultations in a week. So, and in busy season, COVID was put a little crimp into that, but 21 a week. So what I'm looking at is I don't need to do any other services. What I'll do is this though, I will provide those consultations and be consistent constantly. And then when something comes up and they're like, oh, but I don't have the artwork, I don't have a chair or things like that. Then what I'll do is I'll say, well, you know, I do have an additional service. I call it a staging enhancement. And if you'd like, you know, I can talk to you about it at the end, but I can bring in some things to augment what you have. But as I promised you, I'm always going to start using what you have. And then it's really funny because I used to feel uncomfortable saying, you know, this is an additional service I provide, which means number one, I'm going to be paid for that. How many times have we said, oh, I can help you with that. And then there's that awkward moment where you talk money. Oh, no, no. When you say, I have an additional service for that, you can talk about Cindy. So if that's what you'd like, I'm going to talk a little differently to you during the consultation. Right now, I'm telling you exactly what to do. But if you decide you're interested in that, what I can do is I can be broader. And I'll just say, keep, 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 prepack this. And then my team and I can come back in. So you just think about it. You let me know and I can explain my fee structure later. Not how much it costs, not what I charge, but what my fee structure is. And it's really interesting. Fee structure and additional service, those two terms that I use when I talk to them, it's been amazing because I used to be afraid to kind of bring it up because I was saying, oh, they're going to think I'm trying to take their money. When I did it that way and I talked about the fee structure, people, more often than not, they actually book. So I'm like thinking, okay, then I don't feel like I'm being a salesperson, which I am, but I don't feel like it. I'm being a yeah. service provider. I think those are the nice conversion keywords. With the online marketing world, we talk about conversion all the time. So I think it's really important to use the right language to convert your client from a browser into a paying customer. And I think a lot of times client hear, oh, additional service. They're not hearing, oh, I have to charge you for that. They don't hear that awkwardness that's implied in that. But when they hear like, oh, I can go over my fee structure with you. It's just a very simple, very direct way to say that we do have additional paying service. And I think that's a really good way for client to feel that, well, you are a professional. I am working with a professional. So they'll be more likely to pay for that additional service. Clarity. Before when I would say, well, I can help you out with that. If you want, I'll talk to you about it later. What does that mean? (laughs) Does that mean, oh, she's being nice. She'll run to her house and bring a sofa and a couple chairs in here for me. Is that what it means? But when you really break it down, say, oh, that's an additional service, people get it. And that clarity is huge. 
because I was always trying to be nice. When I first started my company, I wanted to be nice. I want everybody to like me. I thought if they like me, they're going to hire me back, right? What I discovered was that it was so much more vital to my business to be respected than to be liked. And part of the respected part was clarity. When I will explain, when people contact me and ask me, you know, how I work or can I help them with a the project, I'll explain exactly how I work, et cetera, everything. And then I'll say, do you have any questions for me? Now, a lot of people will say, well, how much do you charge for this, right? But a lot of times people don't because they are uncomfortable talking about money. And they'll go, oh, I don't have any questions. And I'll say, oh, generally, this is where people ask me about my fee structure. And they go, oh, yes, I was going to ask that next. And then I explain my fee structure. And then I'll do a quick synopsis of the service. And I'll say, so does that work for you? If so, let's get you scheduled. And if they go, well, I don't know. I need to talk to my wife. I'll say, I totally understand. Now, generally, when they say that, that means, oh, you're too expensive. I'm not going to call you that. <laughs> it's true, right? And so then what I'll say is, I'll say, I'll tell you what, when you reach out to the other stagers, oh, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I say, well, come on. You sound like you're a savvy business person to me. When you reach out to those other stagers, please be sure and ask them, are they insured? Please make sure that they actually provide the service you're looking for occupied in a $500,000 home. And, you know, just make sure because whoever you work with, I want to make sure that you get a true professional. And that's how I close it out. Do you know how many people book me right then? Probably almost 100%. And it's just because I'm like thinking, I'm just here to help you. So, you know, I understand not everybody can afford me. It's not like I'm incredibly expensive, but not everybody can. Or they've talked to another stager who's charging $150. So that's what they have in their mind when they hear my fee. They're like, oh my God, right? And so the thing is, rather than make them feel bad or awkward about it, just say, look, and by the way, when you reach out, so maybe they call that $150 stager back and they ask them, do you have a chance to have insurance? And if the person hesitates or says, well, no, I don't really need it. All I'm going to do is talk with you. Oh, no, no, contraire, contraire. (laughs) I definitely think, like you said earlier, it's that clarity generates that confidence right so once you have confident in delivering what your fee structure is it becomes a very natural conversation and also i love that you really just prompt the seller you're like well generally this is when we discuss the fee structure that's when people ask a question and then the seller's like oh yeah that's right that's what i want to ask you you're leading them into doing what you want them to do so i think that's actually a very great sales technique actually well thank you Thank you. Thank you. So what do you think are some of the different skill sets needed within the occupied side of home staging business versus the vacant side? Click, you hear me stepping up on my soapbox. Okay, so here's the deal. First of all, you got to like people. Because guess what? When you're dealing with occupied, you're dealing with people. And so then also, you need to be a good communicator. You need to be able to explain things to people in such a way that they can see the benefit and that they can move forward in action. Also, one of the way I train my students is to ask the question, tell me your story when you walk through the front door. And when you do that, however it is that they answer you, you should be able to take their answer and know how to talk to them. They will reveal to you what it is that's important to them, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's this is the house they've always loved and they're having their guts ripped out to have to move or they've hated it from day one and they're so happy to leave. Or I had one lady say to me, he loved me for his secretary. His secretary, can you believe it? So you never know, but that tells you. So communication is really important. And then you need to listen to their answers. And part of the thing too about Being in the occupied world, we are going into the zones no one goes into. Now, with the vacant, everything's emptied out or it's all being put in the boxes, so everything's in disarray. But when you go into an occupied home and we step behind that front door out of the living room where everybody really lives and you see the truth of their life, it's very, very vulnerable. And you need to make sure that you have the ability to not react and over and you need to understand how important it is to say things in a positive and empowering way. I'm huge on this. One of the reasons people have me come back is because you'll see very many negative things. There's, oh, you've got to be fast on your feet. You need to be able to think quickly. 
You need to be able to look past all the stuff in the house. And if they don't have money to bring furniture in and to bring accessories in, we need to be able to call out of what they have to create the best possible position for them. So my heart is this. Many of the homes that I do, you'll never see it in a contest. You will never see it in a magazine, but they will see it on the MLS. And is it perfect? No. Is it better? Absolutely. And I have left these clients in the position that they will enter as strong as possible based on their time frame and their budget. So understanding the power you have in these people's life is really important. And if I could wave my magic wand and have all occupied people understand how important it is to be kind to people and to be straight with people, that would be huge. But being able to think on your feet and to make do, it's the hallmark of a really good occupied stager. And I know I have vacant stagers out there who will provide occupied services. A lot of times their goal is to get out as much stuff out of the house and bring new stuff in. I understand it, did the business model myself. But when you have those folks who don't have the additional funds to invest in that, being able to still come up alongside them and uplift them, that is key. That's what I pray every occupied person brings to the table. I love that. And so what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that you hear from staging clients when it comes to Occupy Home Staging? Okay, the lady today, she said, I don't know if I want to be here or not. Her daughter is her agent. And so she goes, I'm not sure if I want to be here. And I said, why is that? She goes, I just know you're going to rip me apart. And I said, why would I do that? And she said, well, I know everything's not perfect. And I've been wanting to get stuff done here. I said, look, here's the biggest misconception. They think when I come in there that I am going to be talking to them about making everything perfect. No, it's not about making it perfect. It's not about making it pretty. It's about making it marketable. So the biggest misconception is that I'm going to come in and tell them that they need to rip out that wall, that they've got to update all their bathrooms and redo the kitchen. They're going to have to bring in furniture because they've been watching HGTV. And I'm going to say this out loud, Cindy, they've been looking at our marketing as an industry. And I will tell you, we only put our glamour girls out there. Most of the people in the world, they don't live in glamour girl houses. They don't have the money to create glamour girls. I have what I call real life home staging. And so sometimes I have the pink, blue, and green sofa with the pink lazy boy chair in the living room. And that's all I have to work with. And so they are feeling so vulnerable when I come in. They're ready to say no to everything because they don't have the money. So the biggest misconception from them is that I'm there to spend their money. And they'll say, well, I know I need to do that. And I'll say, okay, stop, stop. Interior design, staging. Okay, two sides of the same coin. We use the same items, right? Interior designers cost you money. I'm a stager. I make you money. Okay, so once I do this, oh my gosh, they're on board. But the biggest misconception is that we're going to come in there and tear them down and apart and that we're going to make it really expensive. Yeah. And I think those kind of misconceptions automatically have basically create this wall for the seller. So when you come in talking to them, they might have already some resistance when it comes to staging. And also living in an occupied home, I think is actually very difficult. They feel like I have to maintain my house in this perfectly staged condition at all times. So what are some of the things that you can do to ease the seller's doubts or make their life easier in working through this transitional phase of their life? I love that because I tell them, I'll say, no, no, no. I said, I'm going to make some recommendations to you. Okay. So now, first of all, in the occupied world, they're still living in the house. And now, especially with COVID, people are working in their house. They're living in their house. They've got their offices, et cetera. So they need to stay there. So what I tell them is there are going to be certain items that I recommend we do for the photos that are what I call photo scrub items. So that, for instance, your desk in your office. For the photos, we're going to get magazine-like photos, okay? So all these things, I'm going to recommend you take it off. We're going to get the computer on there. We're going to get it set up. If those things are on the table when the house is being shown, it's not the end of the world. So it's coming up with that navigation, right? 
Also, I really encourage pre-packing. Notice I didn't say get rid of your clutter. That's negative, negative. Instead, it's pre-packing. Pre-packing is an action word, right? So I'll recommend that they pre-pack their excess items. And I tell them, I mean, everybody I say this to, think of this whole process as sophisticated camping for money. So people think, oh, I just think you've got everything that you need, but you're just going to take those things that you've got squirreled away. You're going to pre-pack those items. The things you use every day that are generally out on the counters and everything, now they've got space up into the cupboards. So when you get that phone call, because you have less things in the house, you can quickly put them away and have a showing. And the funny thing is, do you know how many of those clients, once we've gone through the process, this is an additional service that comes from the occupied. They have me come to do what I call stage to live. In their next home, they have me come in there and help them set up their new home because they like the feeling of living in a stage home, something they were afraid of to begin with. So again, everybody out there, remember sophisticated camping for money. People remember it and they actually say that to each other later. That's amazing. I love that. And so do you find that home sellers usually need a lot of hand-holding through the entire process? It depends on their personalities and it depends on what needs to be done. Now, in my market, and actually a lot of the agents that I work with are fantastic agents and their business model is to be a GC on everything, a project manager. I don't have to do a lot of hand-holding with them, but generally this is what happens. The consultation when done well Get everybody on the same page. That's the big hand-holding part. So I love it when the agents are there because then the three of us collaborate, right? And we're able to put together a plan and I will let them know if there's anything you can't do, won't do, not sure you're going to do, let me know. It's my job to come up with the workaround. But at the end of our time together, you're going to be able to make educated decisions on how best to enter the market. And so the agent's job is to come up with the pricing, handle the negotiation, do the marketing. The homeowner's job is to come up with what they're willing to do, what that investment is, and when they want the house on the market, and to follow through with the items that need to be done. And my job is to help them, based on their time frame and budget, come up with a list of things to do. So once that consultation is done, I provide a top 10 list where they've taken notes for all the kajillion things, that top 10 list holds their hand. And my phone number's on the bottom and they'll call me and they'll let me know, I've got a question, you know, I'm not sure what to do here. Or a lot of the times the agent is so much on that, the agent will call me. But overall, not a lot of hand-holding. The more clear and concise I am and thorough that I am during that consultation. Amazing. I think really having that system helps a lot. That's why I think it's nice that once you have that clarity in terms of what your service offering is, you can create supplemental materials to support that. So I interviewed one of your students, Katie, for the podcast, and she mentioned that she creates little tutorials and guides that she can refer the sellers to so that she doesn't have to go over on Zoom, for example, like how to make the beds or how to display certain things, how to make a shelfie. So I think those kind of things are really valuable assets, actually, that people can create to really help to also cut down the customer service support time. Exactly. I tell you what, Katie's great. She's one of my OCS students. And what I love about her is that she listens, 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 and she puts feet to what we talk about. Because a lot of times we talk about stuff, but do we actually do it? Katie does. So I'm glad to hear you were talking with her. I know Katie is amazing. And usually how involved are your agents in the whole process? So I have different agents that have different levels of work. I've got one agent who I absolutely adore and she is very much there. She takes the notes during the consultation. She then types them up, send them to the client. She oversees getting the bids for the painting. And I mean, you name it, she oversees it all. She coordinates with the seller. So she's very, very active. I also have another one. He's fabulous too. Love him to death. And he is very much involved. And what he does is, He just says, look, just do whatever she tells you. Do whatever she tells you. And so what we'll do is we have vendors that we work with within his organization that will come up alongside. 
And he's really good. He'll come in and go, Bobby said for you to do that. You didn't do it. Nope. We're not doing pictures till you get that done. So there's that level. I have some newer agents that have really been exciting to work with during COVID. This is when they've come up alongside me. And they said, look, this is my opportunity as the agent to brand myself. And so if I'm going to be in this level of service, when I could put a bag of dog poo on the front step and the house would sell, but when I get the bigger feeding frenzy because of the way the houses present, I want to be in this long term. So they're great because they come to the consultations. They do follow up with some of the vendors. A lot of times it depends on the personalities of the sellers. But a lot of times, you know what? People are busy. They're working. They're trying to teach their kids and all these things. I truly believe that the more successful agents, they have more fingers in the pot. But then again, I do have other agents who never show up. I never see them. They just pay me. I'll go in and I learn everything I can about that agent to uplift that agent in front of their clients. It just depends. And different stagers like to work differently. I like to work different all the time because then nothing gets boring. Can't stand being bored. Can't yeah. But I think the support from the agent is so important because if they're really active in that conversation, and I've noticed usually top producing clients or top producing real estate agents, they typically are much more hands-on with their sellers that they will be very actively in helping them. And it's really coming from a service standpoint, which I find that very valuable as well. And how do you normally deal with homeowners who may not have everything you would need to stage? For example, I used to work with a lot of young couples selling their first homes and they have no artwork at all in their house. Or maybe they have a tiny carpet in the living room that is not the right size for the overall scale of the room. So how do you deal with those situations? You know, it really does depend on the individual client because sometimes they have the money, but they just don't know what to get. So I might act it out. I want a rug that's this big. It should look about like this color. You can buy it at such and such store. It's going to cost you about this. And I'll be very, very specific. I'll act the art out on the walls. I'll do that. Then the other level is I do what I tell them, a staging enhancement. I'll tell them, you know, I can bring items in and I do have artwork. I do have throw pillows. I do have lamps. You know, I have different things like that. I'll let them know about that. And I let them know for me, to make it worth my time, I have a $250 a month minimum. So whether I bring one piece of art or a bunch of things, the minimum is $250 a month. And so I let them know that. Now, when I have like the one agent, this is her system. Every house, every seller meets with me, consultations. I deal with the fixed assets of the house. Then what we do is she has a vacant stager who comes in and we pull out key furniture and that stager augments. So what I do is when I have a house, like I've got the one at the end of the year or the end of the month, I've got another vacant stager and I'll have her bring in the heavier pieces. They buy it. I tell them exactly what to buy, where to buy it. I'll augment it or I'll bring in another stager. But here's the deal. This is why agents use me time and time again. So many times people sell houses for very negative reasons, right? They've lost a job. There's been a death in the family, something like that. They don't have the money for that. They can't buy it. They can't rent it. It's just not going to happen. That's when I change the shape of the money. I will say to them, do you have a friend that you could borrow some pieces from? Inevitably, they'll go, I could borrow it from mom. And I'll go, anybody but your mom. And then they start laughing. I'll go, tell me the truth. All of her art is pink, green, and blue, right? And they'll go, well, yeah. And I said, it's all garden, right? And they'll go, yeah. I go, no. <laughs> so find a friend and see if there's some pieces that you can borrow. People really appreciate that. They don't even think about it. And uh, so many of us have art, you know, in closets or what have you. And for my best girlfriend or something, I let her use a painting from my wall. It's being the solution to whatever we find behind that door. So when I have those newly marrieds and things, I love them because I'll recommend something like that. Or sometimes if they have like all those wedding pictures, you know, they're everywhere through the house. That's the opportunity. Go onto your computer, print up some black and white prints, put them in front of the wedding pictures. We can still use those frames. So just thinking outside the box a little bit, they appreciate that. 
No, I love that solution. I think a lot of it about staging actually is about problem solving and also just being creative. We don't have unlimited resources, right? So whatever people can do to DIY, I think could be very helpful in the overall budget. Money. I'm there to make money. You know, that's my whole goal. <laughs> exactly. And then that's the win-win because they make money, we make money too. So that allows us to keep working. So I think it's really important not to be scared about money. I think a lot of stagers, especially newer ones, may feel awkward when it comes to discussing the money part with their client. So this is why I really like your way where it's just natural. We're going to discuss our fee structure and that's it. It's very natural. It's not awkward. People are not going to feel awkward about it. I need stagers to really hear this, Cindy, what you and I are talking about right now, because you know what our bottom line is? Do you know what we do? (laughs) We change people's lives. That's what we do. We create money. We are rainmakers. Think about it. The decisions we make, the recommendations, because we don't make the decisions the clients do, but the recommendations we make, the painter makes money, the carpet cleaner makes money, our washer makes money, the lawn guy gets money, the window washer gets money. The decisions we make makes money all around, and these clients are spending money as a result, right? Red Adair has a quote, which I love. If you think hiring a professional is expensive, wait until you hire an amateur. So if you have put the time and effort into learning your craft and you know what you're doing and you're out there, you're making people, especially in this market. I mean, every house is like 30, 40, 50, 60, $135,000 over ask based on the recommendations you make, you deserve to be paid for that. This is now what I've decided I'm going to do. If people ever balk at pricing, what I'm going to say to them is, okay, so what did you think you were going to pay for this service? And listen to them. And then I'll tell them, you know what? Anything over and above ask, I want half a percent of that, of the difference. All of a sudden, my fee seems really reasonable. So change the shape of the money yourself. Don't be afraid to talk about money. And stick to your guns with your fee structure. Not what you charge, but your fee structure. Stick to it and be consistent. It'll serve you well. That's very good advice. And usually how much prep work does it take to stage Occupy Homes? Do you give homeowners anything before you show up for the staging so that the house will be ready for you when you arrive? So because I do the consultation originally, really what I tell them is don't touch a thing because people pre-pack things that you can use for the staging because they don't understand. It may be that they pack away all of their hardback books, all of their vases, because that stuff's clutter. Somebody's, oh, you're going to get rid of all that clutter. Somebody who watches HGTV, it's you just your best girlfriend. Love your best girlfriend, but no, no, no. Don't touch a thing because even in a hoarder house, which I've done, You can go through and with those things that you can call the things that you need, it saves them money in the end. So that's one of the big things I tell them is, look, don't do anything before I come. Please do not paint before I come. Allow me to come and select a true money color for you. Money color, see? Because they'll say, oh, I'm going to do touch-up painting. And I'll say, well, are you going to do like touch-up or, well, probably the whole living room, but we're just going to use the old color. Well, with your permission, if you wait... I'd love to select a money color for you. So that investment into the paint, you'll get a little bit of that back. Otherwise, it's just maintenance. And I go, oh, okay. So don't do anything. Leave everything there for me. And if you have artwork, if you have extra accessories or stuff squirreled away, get it out and put it into a shopping center for me. And so that's what I do. Now, when I come back for the photo prep or the full occupied staging, That's when they will have done or not the painting. They will have done or not the editing of the furniture. They will have done or not the prepacking. And when I walk through that front door, whatever they have done or not done, it's my job to go from that moment. That's the way that I work with clients. I tell them, don't overdo before I get there. Because in the end, I mean, I've done over 8,000 homes now. In that time, what I've discovered is that When people get overzealous, they shoot themselves in their foot. And then they get mad at you because you'll say, do you have a blah, blah, blah? Well, I already packed it. Well, it's not my fault. I told you to leave it here. That's what I do. 
No, I think that's good advice because homeowners don't really fully understand what we do. I mean, you've done 8,000 houses. This is their first one. So right. we have to be very, not necessarily hand-holding, but we have to be fairly empathetic and also expecting what some of the things they might do. So we can tell them in advance not to do those things. And you know, Cindy, one of the things too that I'm really careful to do, I do not speak designeries. I do not speak designeries. I speak marketing professional. When I'm talking to them about rearranging the furniture, when I'm talking to them about editing things off the bookshelf, when I'm talking about those things, I always defer back to the importance of creating compelling marketing photos, the importance of putting the interest onto the fixed assets of the house and not the things inside. When I speak that way, it's funny. Even the people who are designery themselves or they've hired designers and stuff, when I speak from a marketing perspective and the perspective of our marketing photos, I get a lot better buy-in into the recommendations I'm making. But I explain to them the reasons why. So my goal is by the time I've done maybe three rooms inside the house, they start using my terminology. You guys listen to that. Because when they start saying, oh, okay, I know we need to edit this room. When they start speaking like you do and using your terminology, that's the buy-in. That's a great tip to keep an ear open for. And if they're still pushing, 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 you need to look at different terms to use. But I love doing this. It's a lot of it's buyer psychology, isn't it? Because they talk about body language, for example. If they start mimicking your body language, that means that they bought into what you're saying or they identify with you. And I think it's the same way when they use the same language as you, that means they have bought into what you're telling them. Absolutely. And I love when you get a a client who's a referral from somebody else, because they'll say, Cindy, you told me I should call you. And it's like, okay, so you're in there. And I'll say, okay, so we need to have the light bulb talk. And they're like, Cindy told me all about the light bulb talk. And I go, okay, then I don't have to do that. Right. And they'll go, no, no, no. We want to hear you say it. (laughs) And it's so funny because it becomes part of your brand. And it's really funny because you never know what people are going to talk about when they refer you out. And one of the things is they said, you're going to love her stories. So they actually listen for them. It's important to have that continuity of system and that willingness to talk with folks. Exactly. And it sounds like a lot of your clients work with you for a long time. So what are your recommendations when it comes to building long-term relationship, especially with agents? So hear me close. Not about you. It's about them. So my whole goal is instead of focusing on what they can do for me, I really do come in to say, what can I do to help you build your real estate empire? Because I want to build a staging empire. If you want to build a real estate empire, you're my kind of people. And so there's going to be agents who use and abuse you. What they do is they want to talk you down on your price constantly. They'll tell the client right in front of you, you don't really have to do this stuff. Don't work with those people. It's just like, oh, this isn't a fit for me and move on. So find those agents that are interested in creating this long-term. Find out what their policies and procedures are. Figure out how they want to be in the world. And then ask them, why are you talking to me? What is it that you see that you would like me to do within your business? And then listen to them and figure out if it's really a fit. I had one agent. She's got like 60 listings a month. Sounds great, right? No. Because she didn't want me to do what I do. She wanted me to fit within what she wanted me to do, which I, in my experience, found that not to be effective. To me, that was a turn and burn. I wouldn't do it. And so I just called and let her know, you know, this just isn't a fit for me. I wish you the best. I I think you have a great business model. It's just not a fit for me. So make that determination. Cut them fast. If something doesn't feel right, cut them loose. And it's really funny because you know what? Sometimes when you approach them, all of a sudden their walls come down and then they're more real with you and you can have that collaboration. So talk to your agents, find out what it is that they want to build within their business. Be clear on what it is that you do in your business and show how you can help them build them. Talk about 
how each and every marketing photo brands them. I have two agents in particular that I'm thinking about. They have a very specific formula to their pictures, the way that the photographer shoots and everything. And so because I know that, I stage just a little bit differently for them. So it's that customization. Also, there's maybe five agents I will pick up for after 5.30 at night. I will pick up on a Saturday. I will book a Saturday for them. No, nobody else. They all wait Monday through Friday. But they also don't take advantage of that. And we treat each other as adults. And if something is wrong, I speak up. If there's something wrong from their side, they speak up. So it's all clear communication. Those are the agents I've had the longest relationship with. It's no games. We're all about business. And so if you keep in mind, it's not about making the house look pretty. Interior design is an opinion. And a great interior designer, their opinion is fantastic. But when it comes to staging, it's about marketing. Use marketing terms. When you're talking to the agent, talk about marketing terms. Speak it from that position. That's what really builds those long-term relationships with agents. This has been an amazing interview, Bobby. I feel like it's a masterclass on its own. Unfortunately, we're coming up to the hour. So before we leave, I just one last question for you. What is the number one tip you'll give to home stagers when it comes to looking to start staging occupied homes? Do your research and make sure that you know what you're talking about. Don't go in there and make things up as you go. Do your research, know what you're going to say, and be compassionate. If I had done all of that at the beginning, I'd probably be at 10,000 homes now. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Bobby. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Great. Thank you, Cindy. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.